Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. Yes, we are back from summer break with some terrific episodes and news. Our first two episodes this season were recorded this summer at Wild Goose Festival with Jennifer Knapp, yay, who is gracious enough to be hanging with us this season. This is very exciting, so let's just get right to it. Try to cover everything in the Wild Goose. But now, the Touch Podcast is dealing with the world of sex and uh, these guys are going to tell you about it and they have a we have uh, oh excuse me we have over here uh, Nate Navarro and Ryan Clark and their special guest none other than Jennifer Knapp so welcome and let's go all right all right that's our cue that's our cue Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. This is Nate Novero. And welcome to Season 3! Season 3 with Jennifer Knapp sharing the chair with us. Yeah! Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Jennifer Knapp. Knapp. I was told, no, I was told your name... I never myself with knife. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> Jennifer Knapp. Jennifer Knapp. Don't in put in that some out regions, there. we got dared to in- introduce you as Jennifer Knapp. Where's my share of the cash? That's all I want to know. If you got dared, I want to It's on Patreon at patreon.com slash touchpodcast. Yes, and the reason why Jennifer is sharing the co-host chair with us this season, for part of the season, is because when we started at the Wild Goose three years ago, Ryan and I were making a documentary movie as we were following our own journey of what happened to us in our sexuality. But Ryan, maybe you could tell us a bit better about how that started yeah, so Nate and I are hanging. Nate is a documentary filmmaker. I'm an ordained Baptist minister. And about three years ago, we were talking about putting together a documentary about what happened to all of us who did True Love Waits back in the 1990s. And, like, look at our lives now because we kept telling stories to each other back and forth about not only our stories but stories other folks told to us. And so at Wild Goose last, uh, three years ago, we uh, introduced ourselves and the project, the documentary project, to Jennifer Knapp and started shooting. And so one of the things we'll do at the midpoint today, we'll show you about three minutes of the pilot for a docu-series that we're working on. Can you hear me out there? I look good over there. Can you hear me out there? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. yes. All right. So, yeah, th- uh, three little three minutes of that. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And Jennifer Knapp is on there. She was very gracious. In Which I think is interesting because I never waited. That's all I'm Never g- waited. Oh. We can talk about Which that. Which is where on. we're going. That is a great segue. <laughs> because great what segue. we discovered in following the breadcrumbs of folks who committed not to have sex before marriage and all the... Christian pop stars and all of the youth ministers and megachurch pastors and everybody who promoted that, or in uh, Jennifer's case, which we'll recap that, uh, did not promote that. Um, we f- Tons of beautiful, wonderful, sad, and uplifting stories that will be on a docuseries that will be uh, starting to sprinkle out this fall because we got a little money to do that. Yay, and that's what brings us to season three. Season three, we're able to talk about some of the stuff that will not make the documentary, like some of the stories Jennifer has can share with us today if she wants to. Um, and yeah, so that frames us up for season three. 
That's season three. Yeah. Yeah. So season three is gonna follow the, the making of the docu series, and um, yeah, outtakes, things you couldn't hear, you won't be able to see on TV, and we'll uh, be pivoting away from purity a little bit. Um, season one of our podcast was strictly about purity for the most part, and season two branched out into uh, areas of desire. Um, but we do. Um, everybody has sexual shame. Everybody has shame about their bodies to varying degrees and baggage that come that has come from our families and our faith communities and so we always seem to come back around to talking about shame now we there are other things to talk about as well but i will say one of the women that we met in this journey of making this docuseries jennifer knapp has no shame um she has a (laughs) so not true (laughs) how does shameless no she's not shameless we'll have to sort that out but i know what you're saying but the reason why it appears that i have no shame is because i've gone through a shit ton of shame shedding oh shit ton of shame shedding do that three times s s s yeah, it there works. you go. I might have to get the tattoo or something. That works. Well, when we put the camera on Jennifer, she had this amazing ability. I mean, this kind of this wonderful energy and boldness and empowered empowered voice, uh, empowered feminine voice around the topic of sexuality that we we wanted to bring her back to the podcast and also um, help to share this her story and other people's story to the world so that uh, people can know, you know, outside of Christian circles, the idea of waiting to to have sex till you're married is pretty it's a, a pretty crazy idea. So, um, yeah, so we're really excited about the project and we're really glad that that Jen is here. Cuz apparently Jen didn't wait. She didn't. <laughs> Tell us about that. No, it's, yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. You know, I think particularly, I, I sometimes scratch my head. I was like, why do I still talk to you guys? <laughs> why, why, do I, why do I get in these long conversations about sex and it's not my milieu? You know, like it's not what I do for a living. And I feel like it's very important, particularly because I kind of am coming out of this very academic environment. Uh, last May, I graduated from Vanderbilt uh, Divinity School. I got my master's in theological studies. And so I'm deeply kind of, I have this, elitist kind of hang up about wanting to just make sure and say that I don't really have this professional sex resume. I don't, but I do have this other side of it that keeps drawing me back in that's related to the career that I've had and its confluence around my own sexuality, my own experiences with sex, the confluence of what religion has played to that, what theology complicates about it, and then particularly as a, as a member of pop culture as becoming this symbol of particular things that intersected in this place, a lot of assumptions that were made about what I represented with my body and with my person, and of course because I'm in this environment, these are all the things that I represent. And for me, sex is one of them that for me was just this this thing I silently carried underneath all of my work, everything that I did for so long. I, I mean, I'd lost count. I said I didn't wait. I had fucked so many people in college that I'd forgotten about, like, what is true love waiting? I'm like, I, that, that ship has sailed. But I also, like, came to Christ, and I even hate the way that I say that now because I'm so uncomfortable with that language. But what I would say is I had a genuine religious experience that did a lot of amazing things for me when I just slipped aside and pushed aside, like, the, the, 
the anger that I have about it, the harm that it's done, but hold the good and the treasure of that, which were fundamentally tied to my sexuality. And it's a story that I never got to tell that's embodied in all the work that I feel like I do, and it's embodied in the theology that I think and talk about now. It came from a place of being rescued, literally in that moment, when, when I understood that deity or whatever grace is or whatever language we use when we start entering into this God conversation was a moment where I understood and had this incredible epiphany over my shame, over the obviousness of the things that I'd done, not because I would have called them sin, but because I knew they they destroyed me. They didn't give me fruit. They didn't give me life. They didn't give me a sense of strength in myself. They eroded away from me. And I got to a place where, where something communicated to me in this space. These things are the surface of the depth of who you are and who I love. And th that to me was something that was the epiphanal moment. And, and at the time, I was the prodigal child. I was the slut on campus by some miracle who gave their life to Jesus. And <laughs> wow. that was the revel, like the whole, my whole church celebrated that. So, and then all of a sudden I experienced this culture shock, like, oh, okay, so I don't have desire anymore. Oh, okay, so I stopped saying fuck. Oh, so I can't smoke anymore. You know what I did? I like started masturbating in shame. I started closet smoking and Ooh. I was celibate for 10 years that I won't get back. Like, <laughs> like I, like I truncated so many of these things and I know I'm like I've just mashed a lot in the last yeah. few minutes but that's that's me kind of trying to justify over this academic authority where academic authority sometimes where I go well I'm not a sex expert and I think it's really important that through these conversations I keep testing these guys I make sure you get professionals that get into this zone but I'm still putting my story out here and I think that's for me part of why I keep saying yes to this because I, underst I understand the role that my person has been used in this space and my name has been used in this space um, symbolically to represent some of these harmful things that have been around bodies and shame and we lump it all under the categories of sex the artist in me I'm just like you don't get to do that anymore and I also now have a capacity to kind of talk about that in a way and a shamelessness seriously that I've worked through that like there's nothing that makes you more bold in public than to come out on a national stage have everybody tweet and tell you what a piece of shit you are and then now for me to go if, if we've got a problem I'm going to look at you in the eye and go what's the issue you want to talk about it? Like, I can be a lot more confrontational now about that. And this is one of the avenues that, I, it's just, I love it. It's at the bottom of a lot of the shame and the anger and the rage that I think we, we just get in the zone and we don't talk about it. We start slowly talking about these things. I think a lot of healing can happen. So I'm happy to be around and add my story into the, the mix of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, what, what I love about podcasts is that there are so many of us when we're carrying something like this, um, a trauma or a burden, what you'll be feeling in your body is a clutching. You'll feel a clutching or some type of um, rigidness holding in your body. And some of you, if you're listening to this podcast right now, if you're hearing some things that Jennifer's talking about, your if you're butt feeling, cheeks get tight. if your butt cheeks are getting tight, <laughs> literally, and you're feeling, sweating. you're uh, sweating, and you're feeling yourself clutching, that is your body speaking to you. That is a wonderful, good thing. Listen to that. And when you start telling your story, as Jennifer says, there's going to be a release, and it may be a sloppy release. It may be words you don't even have yet. That was not speaking in tongues. That was gibberish. <laughs> but when that does happen, 
when that does happen, telling your stories in, in messy, safe spaces like this, messy, safe spaces, so much can be accomplished just in hearing your own hurt for the first time for some of us. It's, it's, I think it's really great how you charge with such bold honesty and crassness and... Yeah, and sharing this time with us, that's great and wonderful. <laughs> Speaking of sloppy releases. <laughs> how did oh, I see how I did that? I just brought that so right down. That's awesome. Right I down love that you did that. I thought oh, I was so the cool. only person in the room that talked like a 14-year-old I know, horny uh, little boy. <laughs> As we were saying, sloppy well, releases. Well, we, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, and I wonder, Jennifer, why do you think Back in high school, college days, what that you, how do you understand your sexual behavior now? Well, it's it's generational. Actually, I want to go to generational, and I really kind of hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, but I I am the oldest of six children. My mother was a 17 year old out of wedlock parent who got married in a shotgun wedding. I do write about this in my book, so I'm already kind of threaten my, you know, I, I've already shared the story of my own mother's, but this isn't part of my story, and so I, I, I deeply respect that this isn't my own. But I grew up my whole life as a young girl um, hearing and, and seeing the effect that this had socially on my mom. Like, to be a 17-year-old girl who had to get her GED because she didn't walk down the aisle at high school, because she was in a small town in the 1970s who was, you know, shotgun wedding she, my dad was older than she was from the every single part of her adult sexually mature life was built around shame she was called a slut to my face when i was a five-year-old kid don't grow up to be your mother this is why your parents are divorced like all of these things embedded inside of that i didn't it wasn't a mission nobody meant to do it nobody was trying to like create you know, this malicious architecture of subordination and shame, but I heard it and I took it in. And then, you know, I was a tomboy. You know, you add to that being a tomboy growing up, act like a lady. What are you doing playing in the mud? I saw a little girl sitting in the mud and you know, just her pants, and I so I knew what that felt like. I could feel the mud coming up in my butt crack just sitting there, and I thought that I was so jealous because I just <laughs> knew I wouldn't do it now. But I also heard, even now in my 40s, I heard the voice in the back of my head, that's not ladylike to do that. And I even know now as the queer person, than I am today. I'm looking at. I'm going. Oh, I wonder if she's gay. Like it. Ma- like, <laughs> sit- what does a mud puddle have to do with it? But all of these things. And by the time I got to, you know, here I'm 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm from a small rural town. Good people don't have sex. Even though the before long before the True Love Waits became this slogan and campaign, there was still very much a Midwestern good girls wait till they're married, and the sluts have sex before they're married. I had, I was, a, I was raging drinking. I had so much shame around who I was as a human being. I'd have a couple of sexual encounters in high school that I confused the hell out of me. Turns out, like 20 years later, makes sense to me now. Like, oh, I really not that much into guys. Like, you guys are weird and musky and stuff. And <laughs> I tried, I tried today. a lot <laughs> to make that work. And the, just the, these cycles of shame. And, and, not having like the infrastructures around and not really there's there's not 
There wasn't a world in my 20s and in the 1990s, which seems so long ago. There wasn't a world then. There It was this pre-internet. There's no reaching out to other people in my community. I just, you kind of get glimpses and shadows of other people. There were a couple of gay people, I think, in my town that I might have secretly admired, even though I didn't know that I was gay. Or, you know, or I might have been able to say, I really love my mom. Why does every, Why does everyone make me fight for my existence to be somebody that's loved? Why am I a trophy of your harlotry like what like that's just wrong right like yeah. that 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 gen that's what i mean by generational is that the, the shame that was i saw that shame being put upon my mom as somebody who had sex before marriage and as a young girl was being like please get on the pill my mom's like please don't get pregnant please don't experience what i did it was terrible and awful and i you know that's passed on in that in that other way of by the time i get to create christianity it's like oh yeah good girls don't have sex by the time I get to be in my 20s it's yeah true love waits like pure you know and even after I got saved it's like oh I'm a virgin again and I wanted that I wanted that idea that I was pure and I was good and I was holy even though I'd had all these other experiences so I, I even forgot what question you asked me a long time ago but it's 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 generational and it's about those experiences that we don't even like I would have never talked this way when I was in my 20s but I felt it this whole time and and that was part of, I think, what's made my faith life so vibrant, strangely enough, is that, that sense of feeling. Uh, uh, was it Reverend Sex the other day was talking about, like, just the essential yes inside of our being. That's what erotic is. That's what Reverend Sex was talking about. Or it was from uh, Audrey Lord. It's a quote from Audrey Lord. And I deeply related to that. And you and I, we've all had conversations where I'm like, oh, it's all about sex. It has nothing to do with sex. All of this stuff that we we get tangled up in and all the songs that I write and all the shame that I try and undo, it has nothing to do with sex. And oh my God, it has everything to do with sex. And like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain that except for to, to do these things, to tell these stories of how and, and kind of really scratch our heads and said, you know, where did I learn these things and why... You know why would I in in any way keep trying to repeat that if it, it's clearly not working, and and as an LGBTQ person, I think that's one of those little nuggets that I learned by opening that door and unclenching those butt cheeks of going, oh wow, I, I sexual my sexuality is fluid, like somebody that's beautiful that moves me. I want to have a relationship that's deep with somebody. I you mean I had to like quality check the plumbing, like I, oh okay. Uh, I find that out after I'm kind of I chase my heart and I'm I'm always looking for the big yes it's just so foreign to think that God is the erotic yes it was just okay give me a minute <laughs> like I I have to really rewire that and yet at the same time hearing that in a moment right I can see faces on some people just kind of go the possibility that that might even be true you just fe you literally feel it in your body and you just kind of go, uh, uh, I wonder how long I can keep my butt clenched, <laughs> unclenched, you know? That's a prayer. It becomes a prayer. Like, how long can I be open to this? And well, I don't know. I can talk a lot about it, so. That's why we asked you here. <laughs> that's, that's why we asked you, yes. That's why you're here. Um, but what you're saying, I, I really love what you said about, you know, it's all about sex or not about sex, because that relates to a confusion that I have I feel something very clearly, and maybe, you know, 
as we move forward together, we can fill in the gaps. Um, I would identify myself as a straight man, uh, but I, I made out with a dude. I experimented with a guy to find out who I was, where I stood, and I felt so much release after, not bodily release that way, but emotional <laughs> release, and I felt closer to men. I could be chummer, I could be more chummy with men, and now I, I feel like I want to get to know my dad, and, and I can kind of see some awkwardness my brothers have because I'm a bit more comfortable with my own masculinity after I played with another man. And <laughs> I, that's, something that just, that's something my body is telling me that I'm offering up here in discussion, so maybe something, if there's any part of that where when you broke that first threshold, when you found your big yes, and how, what can you tell us about crossing that big yes for others who haven't done so because i know for me it worked i don't know i don't have all clarity but it worked yeah this is a zone where i i lean a little bit into the mode of dangerous and would really like experts to kind of weigh in a bit mm-hmm. so whatever i'm about ready to say is has vague connections to other things that I've read from like psychologists and sex experts and theologians as well, but I can't quote them right now, so verify anything I've already said. But I do have a response to that, in that and that comes from my space of creativity, actually, where we're so afraid to mess up that we don't experiment. And we kind of skip over really quickly the developmental stages that we have when we're young. When, like, I remember being a young kid and looking at penises and, and playing, you know, tonsil hockey with somebody at six years old just because it's just curiosity and how quickly I've seen parents go oh my gosh what are you doing when they walk around and see two little kids staring at each other's genitals going I don't have that what is that that like that require I think it's really important to have a developmental uh person who can verify that but like what's healthy and what's not because I'm not a parent and I don't know but that's speaking to this idea that we, we stop experimenting. We're told that we're not good at something, and we shut it down. We're told that this isn't the right way to do something, and we shut it down. We to, you know, we're told that you don't look like that. We're expecting you to be in this situation, and we shut it down. And to be able to find a way around something that, to me, is inherently, inherently creative. Like, this doesn't do it for me, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means that it takes experimenting. It means to be able to go, well... You know, uh, this happens a lot in LGBTQ stuff, and this happened on an interview I was doing on national television where a straight pastor was lambasting me for being queer, and they're going, well, and Larry King asked a straight pastor, evangelical pastor, well, when did you learn that you don't like boys, sir? And I just thought that was the funniest thing, because, like, how would he know that he doesn't like boys if he, you know, and he said it in boys, that wasn't really cool of him. But he, the, the point was, he'd not experiment, like... He, how did this guy know if he'd never experimented? And that was a little bit of a charge, I think, even antithetical to what you're saying. Like, it was a shaming thing. Like, well, you would, you clearly know you're not gay because you've kissed boys. And then if you had, you'd have to admit it and all this kind of queer play. And th- we have that. Like, it, it's an act of bravery for you to go, yeah, I've kissed other men and I've, I've had play in that way. And what does that mean now? And for some people, it upsets their whole world. Like, oh my God, I'm totally gay. Like, oh my God, I just totally kissed you and that was really awesome and you're not my life partner. <laughs> like, <laughs> what does that mean? And it, like, it's terrifying. Like, for somebody who had, I'd never considered myself 
a lesbian. Like, that's even weird to say that now. Right? I didn't spend yeah. my life going, I will grow up and I desire women. But the time that I finally met my partner that I share my life with now, I'm like, this is just my yes. This is somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I, for a couple of years, I probably w- woke up every once in a while looking over going, holy shit, that's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> And just just upsetting my apple cart. It never really upset me. It was just like looking over and going, this is so strange that I'm measuring some reality by something that's sitting across from me. It's just, so just trying to channel those out. But I would have never known that. It, I, I, like, I'd never, I didn't have that development stage. It wasn't an option for me. And I'm jealous of teenagers now who kind of go, I'm bi. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm straight or whatever, and they play. They play. They kiss other people. They run around. They play house or whatever. And like, I don't want to inf- infantilize any of it. But we take away that element of creativity and of play, and we demonize it because it doesn't fit a structure. And somewhere in that, that wrecks us later on in life when we it's too rigid for us to grow out of, and and it scares us, and it's too terrifying for us to know. It's fine. It's not terrifying when you get to a place, right? That's what I hear you saying. When you're like, okay, well, I was willing to try that, and it was safe, and it seemed like an okay thing for me. And it, I don't hear you saying you had like this massive freak out, panic crisis in your no. paradigm shift of your world, I or maybe you did. No, I, I, I feel more confident. I feel more confident. But with what you're saying, being here, starting from a certain, start, starting for a certain point of constriction, this is actually a good. This is why we made the documentary. We created a documentary so that. We can share with you our emotional feeling of being underneath an oppressive message. And when we share this shared feeling of oppression and and shame, we then find community there, and then we can step up to a level of play. And um, so, Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and connect this thing, and maybe you could tell us about the clip we're about to see. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'll be the tech guy. This is a part in our recording where we say, we'll be right back with Jennifer Knapp. And then we cut it, we clip to a little commercial uh, while uh, Nate uh, cues up this video. And some of you might want to get in. You can get in a little close because we realize it's a small screen. But this is a three-minute sizzle for the pilot that we did for a docuseries on on purity culture. Uh, And this one features some people you you may know. Uh, We shot this in Nashville almost two years ago now. And um, the series that goes forward, the tone will be just a little bit different, but you'll get a good sense of where, where this is going. Hey, this is Ryan again. Instead of having you listen to a murky audio of this documentary clip we showed the audience at Wild Goose, I'm going to invite you to patreon.com forward slash touch podcast, where you can view the doc we are working on. Yes. There's only one catch. That content is for paid subscribers only. But go there anyway, patreon.com forward slash touch podcast. Look around. Let the spirit lead. Okay, now back to the show. Directed by Nathan Navarro. Produced by Ryan Clark. Featuring Jennifer Knapp. I haven't watched that in a while, and I, I haven't just listened to it. It's so dramatic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and, and dramatic for a reason, too, because emotionally, and maybe you guys can speak into this as well, um, when we 
kind of revisit some of these emotions, sometimes a lot of us have moved on from life to kind of forget this, and we try to detach ourselves from the past. And something happens, whether you need to go back, you have your homecoming for some reason or another. Maybe you're going back to spirituality, to your family, to your body, to your roots, but um, for, for me, working on this project and this podcast, and with all of you guys, this is our, I would say our, um, real-time healing process. I mean, many of us, we are finding identity in each other as we try to find our bodies again as progressive Christians. Or maybe even you don't, maybe you don't even use that title, progressive Christians. As a human being, you're trying to reconnect with your body. And that emotional journey, it really is a love story worth fighting for. So sometimes it may feel dramatic. And it doesn't always have to be dramatic, but it can feel that way. So um, there is space for both... Being feeling dramatic and light about this issue. Yeah. 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 So, and I want to underscore like, I had one of the, I didn't grow up in church. I started going to a Southern Baptist church, had a very sweet and wonderful conversion experience. And in a lot of ways, that very conservative, fundamentalist Southern Baptist church was really good for me. They loved me, provided a lot of affection and structure in my life that I didn't have otherwise. And so, and I heard you, you know, some of that, Jennifer, in saying that. Um, it's unfortunate, though, that because of the, all of the things that were going on in the United States at the time, that and this commercialization of virginity, particularly women's virginity, happened. I mean, it's just a, it's a sad reality that we have to deal with now and that we are dealing with creating space so people can process it and talk about it. But it's an, And it didn't just happen in the 90s. I mean, we're being trolled right now by a purity um, organization um, for that are like, no, it still works, it still works, it still works. In fact, I don't know if you've seen Twitter, but they, the thing that we tagged you on, they're like... <gasps> Did I get in trouble on No, Twitter? you're not in trouble. They just want you to know oh, that... Oh, I so you, want some drama. You can get your virginity back for the third time, I think. Really? Is what they're... <laughs> I think ultimately is they How, want is that, you... Is that surgical? They, re- <laughs> they want you to recommit a- your vagina to Jesus. <laughs> Again. Re-re-re... Re-recommit. The guys don't have to, though, oh right? God, that's the I other, that's the other thing about purity right culture. I so want... I so want to see that right now. It, I can't even tell you how much actual pleasure that gives me. <laughs> well, there was a fun... On the ride here, um, I was riding with Ryan and his family, and um, his son Judah asked a really funny question on the way up because we were talking a little bit about talking, being here with you. And then Ryan's son Judah goes, Daddy, aren't you like the only one still married with, with all, compared to your friends? <laughs> and, and we both laughed. And suddenly I just like turned to Ryan like, yeah, wh- why do you think that's the case? This looks yeah. like it's the case. Why is that the case? Hey, I'm married. You are married. I am married. I've been in. Well, I've only like by by the the law of the United States. Oh, I've only been legally married for like what two years? Did we do the math? I'm coming on two years, two and a half. She's married, ladies and gentlemen. She got married. How long have y'all been together? But yeah, I want credit for time served. Oh yeah, like (laughs) (laughs) I've been married a long time, and it's like around uh, around eighteen, nineteen years somewhere. Wow, that's wonderful. At least it's like lesbian math. It's like I don't know when was that. (laughs) When did we actually move the U-Haul? Sorry. But no, like, it's funny that Judah, like, Judah, I guess Judah hadn't really seen me around with my spouse, but so I just look like a single lady, I guess, maybe to a young boy. Well, what we were talking about was with which guests and which stories 
are going to go in what order mm. on the series. And so we were actually deciding to switch some things around. And um, and the con- and it was about, oh, I think that we were talking about a particular person. I think she just got divorced. And then we were talking about another person. And he had just gotten divorced, and we we're like, and then it was like, are we the, you know, my my wife's right back here, my lovely wife Cindy. <laughs> um, we're like, are we, yeah, are we the only people still married? But yeah, so it was just kind of. But a, I love that these kinds of topics come up. Like everything's about sex, and it's not about sex because I I immediately fast forward to a podcast that I've been listening to. I just discovered this uh, therapist uh, by the name of Esther Perel. Anyone? Holy crap. Like, I love this woman. I find, I don't know, like, I deeply appreciate, like, the investment and some of the things that she's kind of changing the perspectives on infidelity and sexual relationships. And and that's all to say is that, like, when you're talking about divorce, it's really easy to kind of, like, get in this thing, like, monogamy is this normal thing that we're going to achieve. And, like, oh, isn't it sad that you're divorced? And we're like, well, no. And I just remember, like, one of these things from Ava Perel just recently said that I heard that I appreciated. She was saying, I've been in a relationship. I've been married for, like, I think she said, like, it was multiple decades. She goes, but I haven't always been married to the same person. And what that said to me that was deeply important is, like, we all change. We go through these seasons. And the reasons why some people can't travel with each other through those seasonal changes. She didn't claim that, like, 40 years of marriage is some kind of great achievement, but a recognition that that's not even remotely possible if we're not willing to be married to a new person at some point, being the same person that we are in a relationship with. And how we, like, to me, I don't know, I just thought that was really beautiful and poignant and and something that I I kind of kind of looked at in my own life is like, wow, I wonder how many people my wife will have to marry. And I hope it's always me (laughs) in the middle of it. (laughs) But understanding that like that's even what I hope because I may not be the same person next year. And what a deep, sensitive commitment that takes to be able to stay entrenched in that. But we have all these trappings on top of it, right? Like, oh, you're married and how long can you stay married? And uh, like, I like to brag about my 15 some odd years, but because I feel like I've earned them. But at the same time, I tell you today, like, I don't know that I, I don't feel like I should brag about them at all. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I really want 15 more. And I hope it happens. But it's okay if it doesn't. Like, uh, how do you talk about these things without kind of being able to find ways to, of being open about it? And yeah. it looks different, right? Like, some people get divorced and it's a great thing. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and the and that's like a I just don't want to demonize. I no, guess that's no. my my whole point yeah. is like whenever we move or shift or change, particularly in zones around sexuality or in or, or vulnerability or these kind of moral constructs, that somebody finds a different way around it. I'm in de- I'm like I'm definitely calling. I just I'm not comfortable with the foul that is and trying to degrade somebody's um, experience because it's no. a difficult time to go through as it is, and it's transitional and creative and all that stuff at the same time. Oh, and that's a great point, and thank you for calling me on that. And I and I was specifically thinking about kind of in the, you know, Michael and Lisa Gunger sort of sense where you have people who get together sort of sweetly and naively under all these, um, all, under all of this pressure and under sort of false pretenses and uh, and unrealistic expectations of church and family and each other and all that stuff who really work hard for years and years and years to make the relationship work, and then you know, and then here's the church who's the church church that has sabotaged the relationship on the front end and then is going to sort of hold an axe over your head if you, you know, if, if 
you know, you need. Yeah, but if naming you get the patterns out of, of harm another, too. Ma- naming the patterns of harm, right? Like, how are you supposed to sa- sustain a relationship in that environment? You're right. Like, you're being undercut. Like, the, there yeah. are outsized forces actually sabotaging you from the get-go w- that you might not have known. It's worth. Yeah, it's absolutely worth naming all those factors that come into play. Ooh, we have to pause it right there. Next time on Touch Podcast, what constitutes a good relationship? I don't trust me to give you the answer. No, no, no yeah, like f- for me, a good relationship. Uh, gosh, how do you how do you talk about that? All right, yeah, you get to hear Jennifer's answer on the next episode of Touch. Big thanks to the Wild Goose Festival for having us on their stage, and to Russ Jennings from Love in a Dangerous Time podcast. He did a great job recording this and the next episode. Touch Podcast is produced by Touch Media. Touch Podcast is for informational purposes and entertainment purposes only. Views expressed belong to the person speaking those words. To learn more about Touch Podcast or to get involved with the podcast or documentary, please go to touchpodcast.com. The reason why it appears that I have no shame is because I've gone through a shit ton of shame shedding.